And it is my privilege to read the scripture um, that Matt will be preaching on this morning. And I did remember my bulletin. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read from Matthew 25, 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Praise. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Kim. Here's the one I brought up last week. This week's. So I really like the term faithful presence, and I realize as I've been speaking with people that it's not always clear what I'm talking about when I mention it, and our vision isn't always clear, and... Um, There are a couple of reasons for that. One is, um, I'm going to call myself like a medium vision guy, you know, in the same way that I never, my, my, my sermon points are never all the same letter, you know, those preachers, like it's three C's, and then you can remember it really well, and it's like really compelling rhetoric, and some of you are chuckling because you both don't like that, and you know that, like, I don't know if I could force myself to do it. Like, if all of our elders said you have to, I think I could do it, and it would just not be me. And similarly, like, I, I worked for a guy when, once that, uh, man, he was a vision guy, you know? He's like, was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Who's coming with me? And we were all like, yay! Animal House reference, like, so-so. Anyway, um, and that's not me for a bunch of reasons, and I want to be honest about that, but also do vision. So that's why you have Vision 2020 crossed out, because I, I, I just couldn't, you know, 2020 Vision, like we're going to have it this year. I couldn't do it. I, it would be so fake. It would disgust most, those of you that could tell. And yet it's important for us to be clear about what we're doing and why as an organization, not only because that's what organizations do, but also because I want our vision to be a map for our flourishing as individuals, as families, as groups within the church and so we talked a couple of weeks ago about worship. And every act of allegiance to the true king is an act of worship. And he calls us together once a week for corporate worship. 
There's a, a couple that attends the first service, and whenever the wife isn't able to come and the husband is able to come, the husband will always go home and tell his wife that the sermon was about church attendance. And two weeks ago, the stars aligned, and it was perfect. He was there, and she was not, and I was like, we did it. This time, you can say it without, you know, being a little deceptive. We talked about the importance of both worship, acts of allegiance to Jesus, but also corporate worship for our encouragement, which leads us into another provision of God until he returns, which is spiritual community. You can make it in this world without spiritual friendship, and you will not flourish. God has given us friends, and especially the spiritual community of the church, imperfect, risky, hurting, meaning that we, we hurt one another, hopefully not on purpose. He's still given us this provision for our flourishing. I said last week, if you do what I said and get involved because you agree that the New Testament both commands and applies spiritual community, someone's gonna leave the church because they're gonna get hurt because Jesus hasn't returned. And yet, that's our provision. And the third point of our visions, worship, community, faithful presence, is faithful presence. And when I say faithful presence, I mean uh, one of three different things. So one of, the, one of the first things that I mean is, is from Matthew 25 here, where uh, Jesus describes from a future vantage point what happened in the past. So it's, Im- it's implied what Christians acted like in this vision of the angels and Jesus returning and shepherd- separating those who knew Jesus and those who didn't. Did you catch that the followers of the king didn't realize what they had done? They asked Jesus, what did we do that was serving you? Because they didn't know because it was such a, an overflow of who they were as beloved children of the king. They didn't do it because it was the right thing to do, though it is. They didn't do it because it's commanded in Scripture to serve the poor, though it is. They did it because they were so gripped by the love of God that they naturally did it, which is why I think they didn't know. They're like, Jesus, when did we serve? I mean, this is great news and all, but when did that happen again? And he explains, when you served the least of these. And it's important that we try and get this right, why we do this why I went to KFC and took their frozen chicken that they'd cooked the week before to the food pantry for the volunteers later in the week, the Simsbury Food Pantry, for their volunteers later in the week to package up for people that are having trouble meeting their needs. I don't do it because we always have food on the table, though I'm grateful for that in my family. I don't do it because it's commanded in Scripture, though I appreciate that and it does help me intellectually. I don't do it because it's the right thing to do, though I think it is. I hope and I pray sometimes as I'm driving, that I do it from the overflow of God's Father heart and the work that Jesus did for me and the Holy Spirit. I think Christians have the humility to know that if we aren't struggling, and I don't know your story. Some of you have stories I know well, some I know a little bit, some not at all. If you're struggling, we are here for you. Both our own organization through our deacons and through Uh, some other ministries, and we can help connect you with the services in our town. There are federal grants for oil. Did you know that? I hope you did, if you're struggling. But for those of us that are not struggling, if you're Christian, hopefully there's humility that some of the fact that you're not worried about heat and food is, was out of your hands. 
You didn't just earn it all because you're so smart and capable. It has a lot to do with the time you were born. It has a lot to do with the family that you grew up in and your parents. And you're awesome. But some of your ability to to keep the electricity on and food is because of where you grew up. And so we have humility about that. All those things set us up to serve because of who God is. Because one of the ugliest things is when people serve out of condescension. Or worse, serve because they want to be seen for serving. I mean, we know that that's ugly, don't we? And yet, here's Jesus describing uh, different people in need and saying, those who followed me naturally moved towards them when and where they could. And so we're trying to figure that out as a church. So one of the ways that I mean faithful presence is, how do we serve those in this area who don't have food? We have a couple of ways. Hope that you can find time once in the next 365 days to get involved. It's kind of my vision. Sometime this year, you serve with our worship. You're like, I can't play an instrument. Sunday school is part of our worship. Ushering is part of our worship. Greeting is doing the things up here. If you're gifted in them, let's talk. Worshiping, or uh, tech team is part of our worship. I also hope you move towards spiritual friendship in this place. And if you're already in a group, I hope that you realize it's risky and it's worth it. And you continue to wisely move into community. I also want us all to be engaged being a faithful presence to the poor near us. So we take food the first of the month to the food pantry, first Sunday of the month. You want to drive it down there? I've taken my kids. One of the my, uh, conversations I got to have with my 13-year-old this year, she was looking into a community service um, at her school, and I pointed out four different ways that she has served uh, communities through the church that didn't, in these categories that Jesus gives. And I was so excited. I didn't realize it until she asked the question that four different ways. She has helped with the uh, fried chicken run. She's gone with the youth ministry to a group that uh, serves several food pantries. She's done the food pantry run that we do first Sunday of the month, and there was a fourth one that I can't remember because it's not in my notes. She could probably tell us, but I bet she doesn't want to. Yeah, let's just leave that. (laughs) So that's one way that I mean it. The other way that I mean faithful presence is one part of our vision that's unique. And in addition to me not liking uh, alliteration and not being like a Vision 2020 guy, I don't really care very much about our vision being unique. Sorry, that's not who I am. That's, I, I don't... Sometimes I see churches and they, they write these beautiful vision statements and I'm like, that's awesome. And is it necessary? Because, and, and I, I think it is, and I'll explain why. But sometimes they feel like they have too much energy for what's uniquely awesome about them. Because what all Christian churches are supposed to do is worship God and love neighbor, right? And maybe we should invent new words for that. Maybe we should take that energy and be loving the neighbors we find ourselves in relationship with. Some of you know that I hate the word missional. That's what I'm alluding to. Anyway, that's another story. The one aspect of our vision that I think is, is unique is when I say faithful presence, it's not only the poor, and then I'll get to the third point. It's also that I believe, and our elders are convinced, that a big part of the reason that we have a retreat center on our property There's a whole historical reason, but the reason we have it now is to go to the rescuers and tell them that they need rest and then provide it. 
There are a number of organizations in New England and in Connecticut that go into the darkest places in society and some of the hardest places in society and they minister. And I know that, that some of us have time to do that. We have some people, one person specifically, maybe two, that are involved in prison ministry. And we want to invite their team to rest with us. Last year, we were able to host two retreats, and I've written a little bit about this to those of you that give financially to the church, and I'm going to talk a little more about it in our annual meeting next week. Uh, both of the groups said immediately after retreating with us, thank you so much, can we schedule again for next year immediately? And I think the reason is no one reminds these people to rest. These group of 15 women that go into strip clubs in Springfield and Worcester and Boston with the owner's knowledge, oftentimes the owners are the loneliest people. One was introduced to the family business at 17. A club is named after his grandmother. That's all he's ever done. He knows why they're in there and they end up getting to talk to him about the gospel of Jesus. Just last week, a dancer ran over to this team and said, I've been waiting for you guys because no one ever remembers Christmas for me, but you do. And they retreated with us last year and they're gonna do it again. And I think we have an opportunity to do that, to, to give rest to the rescuers. And I know that your time is limited. We're actually going to talk about that a lot next week. The other fun thing for me about vision is I always talk about limits, which is not very who's coming with me, right? Except it is because we might last if we remember our limits. I lost my train of thought because of Animal House. Shoot. Oh, one, one group that we reached out to is called the Ignatian Spirituality Project. And the Ignatian Spirituality Project reaches out to uh, men and women who are either homeless or in the throes of addiction or both. And they teach them spiritual practices, not Christian-based, because those two groups are proselytized at more than probably any of us can understand unless we've been part of those groups. And so instead of proselytizing, forcing them to hear the gospel before getting their bowl of soup. They teach them spiritual practices and oftentimes through those spiritual practices, they're able to uh, begin recovery and get a job and a place to live. And what, one of the things that they taught us in our, in our beginning communications with them is you need about six people to run a retreat, even just for one or two days. You need people that'll do the logistical liaison, you need people that'll do the spiritual liaisoning, you need people that will cook, you need people that will actually do the cleaning. And so my hope is that all of us eventually get involved with one of the groups that we bring in here, praying for them by name. Both groups lead them home and uh, route one. When they found out that we were gonna have a night of worship and of prayer before they came in, we're like, wow, you would do that for us? And we're like, well, yeah, we actually think we have to because uh, you know, we're trying to learn what we're doing and we want it to be covered in prayer. And they wanted to come early, the, the heads of the groups. And we didn't advertise it last year because we weren't positive we knew what we were doing. We're going to advertise it this year and love for you to get involved once a year, giving rest to the rescuers. A number of other organizations, I met with the founder of the Amira House. You know, when someone's rescued from sexual trafficking, there aren't very many places for them to go. The Underground, which is a beautiful organization in Connecticut that Fran Christensen connected us to a number of years ago, they are building a house for the first month where they really need safety, 
warmth, not, any, not very many people, and food. And then the Amira house is a house that gets them back into society where they can take a breath in a public space without incredible fear, where they learn spiritual practices if they want, where they receive counseling. These things are beginning to be built in Connecticut, and I think we have a small role in participating alongside these beautiful rescuers. If you want to know anything more about that, you can ask me anytime, or Stu Blomquist, or Carrie Reeves, who we hired to help us do this, or Beth Roplat, or you can come about every other month. We both pray over all of the Faithful Presence Ministries, which is both food pantry and our outreach to the rescuers and the other places that we serve, prison ministry, etc. You can come and pray over those and learn more about that. I know that when I talk about this, I both start talking fast and I get teary and some of it's totally clear to those of you that are wired like me and others are like, I didn't understand. You can ask any time about it because I think it's a beautiful part and an emerging part of our vision. The other thing that I mean with faithful presence is what we long to be grown into as human beings are those that are faithfully present. This is James Davidson Hunter's term, by the way. I didn't learn it myself. He's an American sociologist. Um, I was reading an Eastern Orthodox uh, book called For the Life of the World, and he kept referencing this, and I heard it from another church, and I love the term, because isn't that what we long to be grown into? Someone that's faithfully present where we find ourselves, with our spiritual family, with our children, with our siblings that haven't realized that we're not eight anymore, with our parents. Long to be faithfully present, which involves both word and deed, both evangelism and kindness. Listening, not being on our phones all the time. Phones are great. It's probably how you're looking at the Bible verse right now, but not on it all the time. Faithfully present to our spouse. Isn't that what they want from us? and what we want to be for them. And so I like it as an umbrella term, and sometimes that can make it confusing, but this is what we are being grown into for the life of the world. I do believe that this is the hope for our world, is that Christians, because God has loved us so profoundly, move into the world faithfully present in our regular jobs, which are not regular. You're a follower of Jesus. They're dynamic kingdom opportunities in the families we find ourselves in in the actual neighborhoods we find ourselves in to the poor that are around us though we can structure our lives that we never see them that is the hope of the world that Christians gripped by the grace, mercy, love kindness, justice heart of God are motivated into faithful presence in the world our faithful presence is beautiful and I say that because I was supposed to be up during that whole landing point. Should I do it again or was it compelling enough with just the words? We're good, right? I'm not gonna say, I can't say it again. It's not written down. Anyway. You're a professional. (laughs) Our faithful presence is beautiful. And, And the reason I wanted to include this word in my notes is we have seen it be so unbeautiful, haven't we? People that serve because they want to impress somebody. People that serve so that they can tell you about it. We serve because we want to impress somebody. We serve because we know it's the right thing to do and that's it. That is part 
of what's beautiful about it, but it isn't the whole of what's beautiful about it. And if it's the whole of what's beautiful about it, I contend spiritually it's actually ugly if that's why we're serving because it's condescending. And that's not the image of God in us looking at the image of God in every other human and longing to be faithfully present. But if we learn anything from Revelation, it is that when we follow the Lamb wherever He goes, by implication from chapter 25, then it is beautiful in the spiritual realm, in the kingdom that was purchased for us that we cannot see when we're faithfully present. Because of his great love, it is beautiful. For God so loved, so we love. With our limits and in our own callings, which are different, though they overlap, I'll talk more about that next week. Regardless of results, we long to see results because they encourage us. We don't need to see them because we're doing it because we're followers of Jesus. That's the, the eerie part of the scripture that Kim read is they simply served because it was in front of them. They saw a need and they met it as best they could. Chapter 25 is an interesting series of Jesus' teachings. There are these 10 women who want to get married and half of them are prepared and half of them are not. And the point of the story is be prepared. What does that mean for a follower of Jesus? It means don't wait. I say this all the time when we, whenever eschatology comes up, which it did a lot in the fall, though maybe not as much as some of us thought. Christians are never supposed to wait to be generous. We're not supposed to wait to learn to use our words for light and life in others, which doesn't mean not ever saying hard things. It means learning to say hard things in a way that's accessible to the other person and loving, which for me takes, means like waiting three days. <laughs> and the, what's eerie to me about the story of the 10 women that wanted to get married is it doesn't say how they knew the difference. The five that were prepared and the five that weren't prepared, it doesn't say what the difference was because the point is don't wait to live like a follower of Christ. Then there's another story about uh, a landowner who gives money to servants and they're supposed to invest the money. They're supposed to use what has been given to them for the master's benefit. And one of them doesn't do it and says all these unkind words to the master and you're getting nervous if you're reading it and your brain is on at all. Like if, it's like if you're watching Law and Order and you're like, ooh, this next scene's gonna be bad. The one who didn't invest any money is like, I knew you were a hard man and it goes real bad. What's the point of the parable? We are to utilize what God has given for his glory. Now, don't wait. Notice they just didn't know when they did it. I think that's so beautiful. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? I don't remember that didn't look like you or thirsty and give you drink when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you Jesus said when you did to the least of these you did it to me our faithful presence is beautiful and an offering I originally had it written as a fragrant offering but I was worried if I said fragrant you would start to do all sorts of funny stuff in your head so it's not up on the board but I still said it out loud but the reason is because in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 and 15 Paul describes our faithfulness to the king as a beautiful aroma to God 
like a, an imagistic, or an image of a religion that needs offerings. We don't anymore. Jesus did the full offering. But when we follow the lamb wherever he goes, it's pleasing to him. And God isn't as pleased with our obedience as he, as he is thrilled to see us freed into a life of life. The gospel is never just freed from. It is always freed from and into. So if we're freed from sin and death and hopelessness and illegitimate guilt, shame and fear and anger, we're freed into flourishing life, worship and spiritual friendship and faithful presence. And I feel like when I was growing up, this is when the speaker would like start to poke a little bit on fear, you know, and you're afraid to serve. But Jesus said, fear not. Who's coming with me? And this is where the speaker would start to poke on shame a little bit, and that worked a lot better on me. You know, you don't think you're worthy, but in Christ there's no condemnation, which is true. But the tone was like, who's coming with me? You know, and like, don't you see the injustice of the world? You do something about it. Who's coming with me? There's a lot of Animal House quoting going on today. <laughs> I don't want you to be motivated that way. I don't know how clear that is. Hopefully pretty clear. I want you to be motivated because God rescued you through the work of Christ and is now empowering you and sanctifying you through the Holy Spirit. All those emotions, by the way, are legitimate. There is some legitimate fear and shame. And God frees us from that, but not perfectly in a sensed way for your entire life. Talk about that in May. There's a series on those things too. You know, that's, that's how I solve problems with series. That's really poorly said. I don't want us to be motivated by that. I want us to be motivated because he loved us so profoundly that he got personally involved. Crossed over, became flesh to live the life we couldn't. To die to reconcile us to God through his sacrifice. The actual beauty of our faithful presence is when we do it without a shred of condescension. Motivated by love. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Our faithful presence, which sometimes involves words and sometimes does not, is a beautiful aroma to those that God is in the process of rescuing and those he has not yet. And it's also obedient. And I have been pushing back on this word, but I want to be faithful to the text. In the parable, it's a king. And I don't think we like the word king. I think we probably dislike the word father more, but we don't like the word king. And it's because we have authority issues. And I think, I could be off on this. My story certainly informs what I'm about to say quite a bit. I think we come by our authority issues pretty honestly. But... What the culture would present to us is you go ahead and be king. Just worship yourself. You know what's best for you. You know what a flourishing life looks like. Go for it. But we know that's not going to work. It's part of the reason you're sitting here. You know that God exists. 
and that you're not him, just the beginning of good theology. And as the Holy Spirit heals us, as the Holy Spirit helps us shed our authority issues and become more comfortable with terms like king and father, then we follow because we know that this king is wise and kind and has never been impatient with you and is entirely loving and strong in a way that no human could ever be. And so part of our motivation for faithful presence in all of the spheres is because we trust the king, so then we follow him. I was contrasting it to try and help us connect at a heart level, and yet it is still a move of obedience. It is still the right thing. I know for many of you, you would really like for your life to slow down so that you could do all this stuff, get involved on Sundays and get involved in community and once or twice a year, get involved more directly through our efforts to be faithfully present in our community. And you know, your, your life isn't gonna slow down on its own accord. Just like your money, it feels like you have to pay all these bills and yet your money goes where you tell it to go. You know, and you're like, really? Yeah, you gotta trace it back a while. If you're like me, you have to trace it back a while and figure out all the things you signed up for that you didn't mean to. Your time is the same way. And it will not be done quickly, but it can be done. Those of you with little kids, it might not be this year. It might be next year. I remember. My kids are not so little anymore, but I remember. So it might not be this year. But you probably could still get it into the calendar. Because this is a description of your flourishing. That you worship throughout your week. Every move of allegiance to the king is a move of worship. But also, he has given us corporate worship. We might remember the good news of the gospel. He has given us spiritual community so that we do not just survive but flourish. And he has empowered us by his Holy Spirit to be faithfully present to the humans we find ourselves in relationship with and through our local community of faith. And we do this as a movement of of obedience, but motivated by his great, great love for us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you help us to receive your fatherly care? even amidst our issues with the word. Jesus, would you both remind us of your gospel and would you help us to be remembrancers in one another's lives of the great promises of your gospel. Holy Spirit, would you empower and strengthen and guide us to be faithfully present to the neighbors you have put into our lives, to the poor who are around us, to these who are our spiritual family. Amen.